Welcome to Colors of the Dark. I'm your co-host, Rebecca McKendry, and with me is Elric Kane. I feel like we did this episode already. This episode's you called feel Take that? Two. Take uh, Two. We were going to launch our year two weeks ago, and we did, and the episode was fine. A computer malfunction, Y2K, they call it, uh, took eliminated the entire episode, but we have decided we took a couple weeks to, like, you know, kind of redo and be enthused. You were ready to go the next day, and I was like, I, I need some time. I need to no. process my feelings. Um, you got to learn acting skills. You can do the same thing again. Oh. And Elric's like, no, it's not has fresh. To be it's not organic. It has to be authentic. I had to re- and actually, this one's better because there's now a couple extra things as well as the same stuff, including our same guest coming back because we obviously felt most bad for that. But it was super fun. Well, plus he's a friend he and we can friend. be like, dude, here's what happened. Just join us again. And he made and, the absolutely yeah. kick-ass new Shutter film called Destroy All Neighbors, which we both really dug. And it's super unique yeah. and completely... A Josh Forbes movie. So listen into the latter half today to hear. But first, we will be digging into what we've seen recently. But before we get to the interview with Josh, we are also going to count down five things each that we are looking forward to in 2024. It just changed. This was <laughs> two weeks. Did no. You? no, neither did mine. I left mine. It did thing. not. I was, I was tempted to be uh, like, fuck one of these things because it's two weeks later and I've changed. I, I have an addition, but I'll call it an honorable okay, mention. Okay. Um, but I did add to some of the things that I've seen because let's kick off with this true detective. Oh, I put that at now, the top too. Yeah. Yeah, that's my well, I will start by saying because it'll come up later that I watched a lot of stuff. Um, because right after Christmas, a relative brought me COVID right at Christmas time. Okay. And so it was my first thank you. Yeah. It was my first somehow I skirted COVID for what, like three fucking years and then smacked. And um, so I did Paxlovid, which was great because the first initial punch of COVID lasted like 48 hours max. And then I was testing negative and I was like, this is amazing. What is the hype about this? Like I was in and out in 48 hours. And then literally eight days later, I got smacked with this rebound and I was down for another 10. And um, so but the in that in term, you got to see one movie with me and I did not. Get I COVID, did. So that was good. <laughs> no, because I was negative for like eight days. Yeah. I was totally negative. I went to a couple kids birthday parties like it was just it was a wild thing but in that interim we did go see a movie but first let's kick off with true detectives so yes um because that's what i've been watching most recently the really cool thing about this particular season is that it is a horror showrunner this is isa lopez who we've had on i think she was on shockwaves yeah um yeah i i think we had her on twice on shockwaves possibly i think i've only yeah. met her once tigers are not afraid uh i believe is yeah. once, and she's she was a fantastic guest She's, she's awesome. Such a bright uh, filmmaker and just sharp and funny. And I guess she had also written a lot of comedy and, and, and mm-hmm. you know, in Mexico TV and, and things like that. Um, but this is this is totally unique because it's not just she's a horror showrunner. It's a horror season. And like when you get so something like that, you're not expecting True Detective to go full horror. And that was super cool. So that has been a really controversial thing as I've been reading reviews online is that usually True Detective, it may feel like there's supernatural elements like i feel like the first only the first season, season yeah the, the other two are very the yellow king yeah. you know it's got these kind of supernatural overtones but at the end of the day everything is grounded in reality this season we are already getting that nothing is grounded in reality it feels very cosmic but but um, i will say that's that's the, the wording is important there it feels incredibly grounded 
because the drama's so grounded and so yeah. fair and so realistic. The sex scenes are super real. The the character types are real. So it's like doing making that. It reminds me a bit of a Fessenden vibe because he's so yeah. good at grounding that that stuff before then adding the supernatural layers mm-hmm. to it. So I think that still feels like True Detective to me. It's just making clear that this isn't going to be just some just a killer orchestrating thing. True crime. Yeah, show, there's obviously yeah. something bigger going on. And what is I've really been loving is that it is hitting at it so subtly um, that you understand from the very first episode that there is some type of bigger cosmic otherworldly horror at play, but it is not hitting it hard. It is just weaving it in and giving you tiny little tastes of it each episode so far so that it can spend the time focusing on the drama aspect of it and really nailing those characters. Um, Yeah, I have been just I'm waiting for the third episode to hit it, I'm so it's the most i've it. felt the whole um once a week thing like usually yeah. i'm like i think tv should go back to just being once a week i hate when they dump all the episodes and in this one after first episode i'm like you have to at least give me three because otherwise i'm in pain but i do think they're right not to put them all because then you're only hot for a second right like if you but yeah. i do think you could have done two or three uh, to get people started because it is very I'm so hooked in terms of needing to know the little details but you know talking about the horror being subtle at times but there's a couple there's this something that happens in the second one uh with something that's frozen that's so like intense and then I I saw an interview with her and it was such a great reference she was talking about because it's exactly copied from Dead and Buried and it's oh, and yeah. she was like I loved that movie when I was a kid and I just got and I was like oh that's so cool so she's definitely you know pulling the good stuff and um, I, and when people complain, it's like, so, we already have the other three seasons of a show. There'll yeah. be another True Detective someday that's not supernatural. Let us enjoy and, this horror of it, you know? And some of those seasons I found too grounded in reality. Like, I think it was the, the third pretty dry. Season, the third one good. that was, it was focused on the city of industry here in mm-hmm. Los Angeles. Uh, is that the right one? I think that was the right Could one. Be the, um, the where one. it was very much about, like, kind of the city of industry, political and, you know, governmental control. It might have and been it was two, really yeah. dry. I just couldn't. Yeah, and I like, I like that stuff too. I, I, you know, I can get into anything. And True Detective as a brand, I really dig. But I also just, I hate it when people get so protective of it. And this one does have. You know, it says night country. It is slightly distinct when people then on Twitter say things like how, you know, why didn't they just call it night country? Not have it's like so people would watch it <laughs> like yeah. you put your detective it's an and people are going to turn it on. That's why it, it's yeah. totally an IP. And I get why they are doing the week to week thing, because the hype from the first episode almost doubled the viewership on the second. Yeah. And if you had just dumped and it will continue growing um, like that's what I think that a lot of the binge shows are missing marketing wise. Like it's cool that I can sit down and watch every episode of Stranger Things like back to back. But like when we look back at something like Lost, like it was this growing snowball of hype so that by the time you got to the end of the first season, everybody was watching it because it had just become this massive thing. And it started out as like. 10 people being like, oh my God, this was wild. And then it just blossomed into something. It especially is, uh, it is especially true to mysteries and, and Twin Peaks, Mm -hmm. the original and the return both proved that like no one would be talking about the return. If it was all dumped at once, people would have been frustrated. Instead, it became a talking point. Uh, I think the best recent example that reminds me of this is um, the outsider. That show was so important to like have to sit with for a week and like crave Mm -hmm. knowing things. But so, so, you know, it's cool that these models uh, still work, but I'm, I'm, very excited to see where it goes and i also really yeah. like jodie foster's casting i think she's a really interesting she's character great. and she hasn't really yeah. had something to, to do that quite as meaty as that for a while so 
Um, Plus it's got huskies in it. I have a husky. Uh, So yeah, every single time one appears on screen, I'm like, huskies. Um, Okay, so while I was COVID negative for a whole eight days in between my two bouts, we went to see Night Swim. Which which was uh, brand new when we recorded this two weeks ago. And now it feels like a movie that's dead and gone, dead and buried. (laughs) Yeah, so we were both kind of mixed on this walking out of the theater. We both kind of felt, um, and I don't want to speak for you because this was a month ago that we saw it, but I think I remember you feeling the same way I did where the first part of the movie as it's setting everything up and it's setting up the mythology you're like oh shit this is kind of cool i'm in there's some really good scares there and then they just kind of drop it all and then it just turns into creepy dad in a house and they try to do and too that- much with the con like the con their sequences yeah. and the, like you know carrie condon that's mom's great Wyatt Russell's okay, even though I usually love him um, in this. Like, maybe it's a little harder to love him when he has to play this kind of a character. But uh, it, it, when it sets up, when you have your pool gags and it's just like weird, fleshy guy with strange eyes behind you in the pool, that's terrifying. When you then have that times a thousand of them, it's suddenly not that scary because it's more like yeah. a weird afterlife thing. And that's just not as scary as when there's one weird thing standing outside the pool looking at you. Like, so it, it had both, but the more it added, the less. I think it worked as the movie went. And I was super into the mythology that they were building about how it used to be the spring and there's something in the water and they never really did anything with it. It just kind of, you know, here it is in the first act. I'm laying it all out. It's in the cool hook. Right. And then it just fell and then it became zombies in a pool. And, and we felt um, the air go like it's you don't always notice this in screens, but this was a packed house. It was the first day it mm-hmm. opened. It was we noticed, opening night. It was packed. Yeah, we noticed the change in the second. You could kind of feel the air in the room change, and it just was very different than the start. And so, uh, yeah, I, I think this one, again, telling that it's not being released in the middle of summer, because this is like a complete summer movie about swimming, that everyone should be watching this movie, and then the next day going, oh, I don't want to swim. And instead, it's coming out in winter, thing. which feels like a dump. You know, they have a 4th of July party yeah. in the middle of the movie. And yeah, but it came out in January. So maybe stream it in you know, I, the middle of the year. I guess still- I think Blumhouse was trying to hit. That Megan. was the was exact same day. weekend yeah. that they did Megan. Yeah. So, yeah, I think they were trying to hit the Megan. No, and I get that. And, I, you know, sometimes movies come out when they come out. But I did feel like this felt like such a summer vibe thing that could have. Mm-hmm. But anyway, it, it's it's definitely decent. It's totally watchable. But it's a little too much Insidious too you know, with the crazy dad stuff that it it took away from what could have been maybe something a little more unique. Yeah. That was nice. I, I have one that's not a full review. I'll just give it a plug because I really want you to see it. And that is um, Poor Things Has Finally Gone Wide. It's been very limited. And so it's been a long time wanting to see the new Yargos Lathamas, who, you know, obviously dabbles in horror with Killing of a Sacred Deer. Uh, but this movie is so, I, because it's out now, I really want horror folk to see it because it's like a really insane sexual comedy that happens to be Bride of Frankenstein mixed with Frankenhooker mixed with Barbie. Honestly, it's the like I thought Barbie was really good, but this is a better movie and it's the exact same story. I mean, it's about a woman having basically ca- coming to full sexual and uh, thinking autonomy by the end of the movie. And so it's so similar to Barbie. It's hard for me not to see them come out in the same year and go, yeah, but this one's so fun because it's so insane um it's really wild it's a truly wild funny strange movie and, and the late the frank uh the uh, bride of frankenstein of it means i think horror fans even though it's not really horror it has enough there that gothic kind of sensibilities people might really dig it so very fun strange movie 
I am very excited to see this. One. I think I've you will this dig on this. My list, yeah. So I'm excited for it to get to streaming so I can watch yeah. it. Um, okay. I wanted to include a couple of Giallo picks because it's January Giallo and we were going to do more of this last episode um, before a black club computer killed it. Um, so yeah, I wanted to at least include a couple of them. So I just rewind. I'm not going to say much about it. I just rewatched New York Ripper. And I don't think I have seen New York Ripper in 20 years. Quiet, quiet. Like I was probably I was probably in high school watching this. And so I had very little memory. I know it's Fulci, so therefore it's gory and it's kind of over the top. I did not remember how fucking ugly this it's, film It's the is. nastiest it, of nasty movies, I think. It's- it is so nasty. It is just a constant amount of weird sex followed by visceral death scenes. Um, so yeah, it was definitely one of the more brutal, uh, giallo films. Elric's about to sneeze. Don't sneeze. Oh, he muted himself. So you can't even hear him sneezing. I just, I just, you blew it. Narrated. You blew my, uh, I, I narrated like the whole podcaster and I, <laughs> oh gosh. Um, but yeah, the New York Ripper, this is on, um, this is, it's a tight giallo. I was still interested the whole way, but every single one of the death scenes, I was like, oh, and, well, it's know, a, I it's a great 42nd street movie. Like it's a great throwback it, oh to gosh. that feeling of the sleazy New York that doesn't exist and, now, you know? Plus he's filming in all of these 42nd street peep shows and yeah. walking down the street. Like it was this beautiful historical piece about 42nd street in 1970 something, whenever this was made. Um, and so it was so fascinating in this capacity. And I've gotten really fascinating with the giallos that were shot in New York city. Yeah. Um, and, and even just some of the Italian films of that time period, like the Manhattan babies and things like that. So just seeing, you know, how Fulci was shooting this, it's still dubbed. That was the wildest thing that I, I didn't remember is going in. I was like, well, it's in New York, right? They wouldn't need to dub. Nope. Still completely dubbed. I guess it's going to all markets. Yeah. So they probably dub in every language. Yeah. All the fun trappings of a standard giallo. So this, I have the Blu-ray from um, Blue Underground, but I noticed it's also streaming on Tubi. And the other brand new giallo that I watched, I included a bunch of deep cuts on our other show, but I wanted to mention No One Heard the Scream just because I really enjoyed this Mm. movie. This, um, and fine, internet, you can argue to your heart's content. This came out from Severin. And I considered it to be a giallo and Severin called it a Spanish giallo. There are such things as Spanish giallos. And as soon as I posted it up on my socials as part of Giallo January, I got all of these, you know, that's not actually a giallo. So fine internet have at it. This has all the trappings of giallo and there were Spanish giallos coming out around this time period. So I'm going to kind of chunk it in with that category just because it really does feel like one. No one heard the stream scream. Um, this is out from Severin, and then it's also currently streaming on Tubi as well. 1973, directed by Eloy D. Iglesia, who mostly made exploitation films, um, kinky films, which were uh, spelled Q-U-I-Q-U-I, um, not kinky as in the sexy kinky. These are like juvenile delinquent films about youth gone wild. And then he also made Cannibal hmm. Man, I've heard of uh, which is a trip. Yeah. You know, it's a cannibal movie. It's one of the uh, Italian... It, you know, it's in the vein of the Italian cannibals, but Spanish cannibal. Um, so yeah, think, this they one. Them paella, well, not giallos, but when they, when they talk about the westerns, they always call them paella, paella, paella westerns, paella paella spaghetti, westerns. Which I love that yep. ter- the difference. It's pretty cool. It's just all kind of Euro trash. Yeah. So that's where I would put this: is it's a Euro trash giallo film. 
It is a very fashionable, wealthy woman who's clearly kind of an entrepreneur. She lives by herself. She breaks up with her boyfriend right at the top of the movie, and she's in this beautiful apartment, dumps her boyfriend who was expecting her that weekend, so you establish early on that no one is expecting her. No one cares where she is, and she was supposed to be out of town this weekend, so everybody thinks she's out of town except for the boyfriend who now thinks she's not coming. And with that, she witnesses her neighbor throwing his wife's dead body down an elevator chute. And you get that there's like all of these different malfunctions happening in the building and that nobody even is in this apartment building. They're basically the only two apartments left. And so he immediately breaks into her apartment. She runs back into her apartment, tries to lock everything up. He basically takes her hostage and then involves her in this really elaborate plot to get rid of his wife's body. And the whole time, like, twists are being uncovered. This was fun. I really had a good time with this one. So I wanted to mention it here. Um, Just because for our Giallo completionists out there, even just people who really like these kind of murder thrillers from the 1970s, this was a trip. And I had heard nothing about this up to this point. That is, no one heard the scream 1973 Blu-ray out from Severin. And it's also playing on Tubi right now. And I think we took about five pretty uh, lesser known uh, Giallos on our most recent Patreon deep cut. So if you go subscribe to that, you'll be able to hear uh, those. Because, you know, and I think we'll probably continue through the year filling in some of those gaps. Um, mm-hmm. So when I talked about a couple weeks ago, that was new and still, I still, it's kind of good to know that it still hasn't really been talked about much. Uh, so I'm curious to put this on people's radar uh, from New Zealand, which doesn't happen that often anymore with horror films uh, that come out. This is called loop track uh, by a director, Thomas Sainsbury. who's also the star of the film. And it's kind of about a sh- kind of a schlubby loser guy. Who's trying to get away to the most remote place does not want to be of brown people it's intimated maybe there's a divorce maybe you don't really know but just as a very kind of meek character doesn't want to talk doesn't want to see people it goes in the bush um what we call a loop track which is just a trail that's going to come back in a loop over like four days or two hours whatever it is we call them circle trails yeah, but yeah. there it's called loop track so when i first saw the title i didn't remember that and i was like oh is this like going to be a loop story like a you know like one of those time, time, time loop, loop things. I do love time yeah, loops. Yeah, it isn't. Um, but even as I was watching, I was expecting that. So he he's out on this trail. He's clearly not someone who's meant for the bush. Uh, he's like an office-looking kind of guy. And he sees somebody up ahead, and he purposely tries to avoid them on the trail. And then there's these little houses along the trail where you can uh, pitch for the night, you know, kind of um, kind of like a glamping, a, ver- a version of a glamping. Like hostel yeah but just but in the bush so there's like just it's a space anyone can use it no one's actually living there there's mm-hmm. no, you're not paying money or anything and uh he, he ends up having to run into other people and one's like an obnoxious guy who wants to be his buddy and he's super positive and super nice and so you're, you're suddenly like is that guy a serial killer and you know all these different things go through your mind as you watch this and as the story goes he sees a dark thing in this darkness like a dark shape that looks almost like a figure of some kind um but he doesn't no one else seems to see it and he starts talking about a lot and seeming a little crazy and about exactly on the halfway part i could see a lot of people turning this movie off right at the halfway mark and i i wouldn't have turned it off but i was definitely on the cusp of like do i need to watch another he's a crazy guy who's gonna do bad things and it's all in his head um it kind of is pulling you into that feeling with these people uh in this remote setting and then uh you know, then something bad happens to a couple of them. So, of course, they're like a, two, a couple of the people on this that you meet. And suddenly you're like, oh, he must be killing them and then pretending it's something else. And then about just past the halfway point, And don't worry, I'm not going to spoil anything, but it's important for you to watch this movie. Uh, it reveals something. 
And once it commits to it, it is such, it's a massive reveal. It's like swing huge. And I laughed out loud, gasped, laughed, hadn't ever seen this before done. Not quite like this. And so I'm not going to ruin what it is, but I am just telling you. So as you know, that this is a movie that builds in a way that might be, uh, if you stick with it, you might actually find satisfying. It won't just be a, it's all in their head kind of movie, which, you know, it's fine too, but we've had a lot of those. Um, So I think somebody like you might get a kick out of where this goes. I'll tell you off mic what that thing is because it is quite, okay. it won't spoil it for you. I just don't want to spoil it for everyone. Um, but it was a fun movie and it was like four bucks on a couple weeks ago, it was four bucks on Amazon uh, loop track. Um, so it was a new release. Now it might, I'm not sure, maybe isn't a new release anymore. We'll see. Um, but I do think people might kind of dig that. Okay. Um, I'm going to talk about one that was from 2023 that I am just now catching up with. So I was at, um, I'm a big patron of the Burbank Public Library. And I was in there a couple of days ago, and I'm walking past an end cap. And it said, like, you know, best films of 2023. And some of the the staff had picked their faves. And somebody had put the blackening on there. And so I was like, okay, you know what? I'm sold. I checked out the blackening Blu-ray from my public library. Took it home. This was awesome. Honestly, possibly even would have made my top 10 had I watched it back in 2023. Now, when I had seen this trailer... I was hesitant to see it because I thought it was spoofy. Like I could tell from the trailer that it was self-aware and comedic. And so I was honestly thinking that it was kind of spoofy or even making fun of horror films in kind of like a not another teen movie type manner. And so I was thinking that that's what I was going in for. It is not by any like it is just not even close to that. It is self-aware in what it's doing and it is funny, but it's not spoofy by any stretch. And so the setup is that a group of friends from college who haven't seen each other in a really long time, you get that they all kind of have their different um, beef with each other. There's a lot of drama between some of them. Some of them have hooked up in the past. Some of them are hooking up now and don't want to tell other people in the group. But they're all friends from college. They have they get an Airbnb and they gather there for a Juneteenth celebration. And when they get to the cabin, they find this game, this like horribly racist board game in this back room. And they're like, I'm going to play this because we're going to get this person canceled. So they want to put it up online. So they're ready to record the whole thing as they play this horribly racist game and show it off. And then the game kind of comes to life and starts threatening to kill them and doing all these things. People start dying. They start fighting back against whatever force is controlling this. It was great. It was such a fun time. And it does have that really self-aware element to it. But it was so cleverly woven into the humor and the actual real events that were happening that you didn't, it wasn't as over the top self-aware as I was expecting it to be. So yeah, if you have not seen this yet from 2023, this was, it was great. I had fun with this, the blackening. Yeah, I, I stayed away for the same reason because just in my head, it was probably saying, oh, it's going to be a satire, like scary movie or something, but that's yeah. good to hear. Um, yeah, this was, it was really fun. One that I saw a couple weeks ago, so it's kind of faded, but it, that I thought you might dig, and I think people who like 30 Coins, the show, would dig it. I talked about it being like a very much an Alex D. Iglesias uh, vibe, and probably as someone who even knows him, it's Spanish horror film, brand new film called Everyone Will Burn. And this is mm-hmm. set in a small, very beautifully shot film, uh, set in a Spanish, small Spanish village, and it opens with 
um, a woman who is uh, standing on the bridge just in her normal kind of work clothes and looks like she's about to jump. We will come to learn that she had a son who was kind of bullied and committed suicide. So, and, you know, it makes sense why she so, feels so broken. And then this little girl who's covered in dirt comes up to her and says, mama, and like kind of talks her down and she goes off with her and they're stopped by cops. And the cops are like, who is this dirty girl? And the girl lights them, the cops completely on fire and they die. And so the woman takes her home and is like, uh, I better figure out what this is. And in this town, there is this legend of a girl who would uh, appear, a small girl at some point, of something to do with the apocalypse. That's why it's so very much a Alex D'Iglesias got a vibe. And, and what starts happening is all the sinners of this town, which is the entire town, all start getting their comeuppance because of whatever's been unlocked between the, even though it feels like she's basically Damien Thorne. Uh, mm. So they kind of feel like they're the bad guys, but it's also by the end, you're kind of like, yeah, but everyone in the town sucks. They're all pious and full of shit. And it's, it's, you know, it's really fun. I think if that's, if you like those kind of Spanish movies, if you like Alden Dover, though, it just has a little bit of that flair. And I thought it was really well made. It, it built to somewhere that was pretty, you know, chaotic and, uh, those kind of apocalyptic storylines where everything's burning around you. Uh, yeah, it was a, it was a nice surprise. I knew nothing about it when I turned this one on. So that's everyone. This one, on. it hasn't gotten a lot of reviews, but the ones that I've seen have been really good. So I don't think it's gotten a lot of coverage. But again, the coverage I've seen has been really positive. On you it. dig it? I, I'm pretty sure of that. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to give you one bonkers fucking movie that I was tempted to put over on Deep Pets, but I decided to include it here because I haven't covered Genji Ito stuff for a really long time. And for a stretch, I was reading like an Ito book every week. So um, while we were at the LA Haunted Hayride, this was you and I had gone to the LA Haunted Hayride. We ate like way too many funnel cakes. Um, we ran Impossible. into the Ghoul Daddy. I know. Us eat too many funnel cakes. It's wild. We also had roasted corn. Oh, yeah. Um, I think it was the roasted corn that did it because we did that after the funnel cake. It was, yeah, we we ate a lot. Um, anyway, so as we were sitting on a bale of hay stuffing ourselves full of funnel cakes, we ran into Matthew and Paul who go on socials under the name The Ghoul Daddies. And uh, awesome guys. And they had recommend, I think it was them. I know that we got this recommendation on that night. So I think it was them. Um, they had recommended a film to me called Tamiyo from 2011. And the hook was, it's the only film that Junji Ito ever directed. And suddenly I was like, wait, what? Junji Ito directed a film? Fuck, <laughs> I'm in. And it's based off one of his early, early um stories and I can't remember the name right now of what it was it was like the yellow turtleneck or something like that um nothing to do with Tomi that is an entirely different story this is Tomio and so yeah this is the one thing that Genji Ito directed I will say before you watch this Genji Ito is a much better writer and artist than he is a director so don't go in expecting it to be the most brilliant thing that you've ever seen but that said it was really creepy and there was something cool about it. And it is still very much a Junji Ito story and vibe to it. So if that is your thing where it's all about the body horror and the weirdness of it, this may be your vibe as well. Um, so this is about a young couple, Tamiyo and Madoka. Um, and they decide that they are going to get married right after graduate school. And Madoka convinces Tomio to come with her to this fortune teller. And they get to the fortune teller. And you can tell that the fortune teller is like totally hot for Tomio. And the fortune teller pre predicts that they're going to break up horribly and that it's going to end tragically. And literally that night, Tomio goes back to the fortune teller and starts having wild and crazy sex with her. 
And so immediately you're like, okay, relationship fell apart and the fortune teller is doing this. But the fortune teller has this thing about heads. She keeps talking about how she just wants to keep his head and she thinks his head is so beautiful. And um, when he scorns her, his head, he claims, he claims, you don't know, he shows up at a doctor's office and he claims that his head is no longer attached and he has to hold it in place. So he's literally holding his ears, trying to keep his head in place. And the doctors are like, you're crazy. This can't be the case. And then they x-ray him and they find out that no, his head is truly completely severed and he is holding it in place. And this is now a curse that his head is no longer attached. If he lets go, it's going to fall off and he's going to die. So he has to hold it in place. This gets so fucking weird. So weird. Um, so this, I found this on where to, uh, Amazon. And it's a weird rental because I'm fairly sure that this was part of either some larger television anthology because it had two sets of opening credits. It had one set that seemed to be introducing kind of an anthology or a TV show. And then it had the opening credits for this individual segment. So it might be part of something bigger. I don't know. The cool thing is it's Junji Ito directed and it is a true Junji Ito vibe. And even if you're like, I don't know, this feels a little low budget. It's still a total Junji Ito uh, vibe with terrifying moments and just weirdness. Uh, I at least wanted to give this a really strong mention because I know there's some Ito fans out there. Um, Speaking of fans, lift your shirt just a little bit to see the bottom name. Uh, Bottom name. Okay. uh, If you're at home, her shirt says Bava, Fulci, Suave, and Argento. Coming next Friday, not this Friday, one week from today, a brand new Shutter documentary called Dario Argentic Panico. And I had heard about this and I had no clue if I was going to get to see it. But suddenly I got an email, like, I think it was yesterday morning saying, anyone, you know, if your people are interested in covering this thing, I wrote back straight away because I had like a a two hour window. And I said, if I get this right now, I will watch it right now. (laughs) And they sent it to me right away. But they also said, well, but it's embargoed till next week. And I was like, we do shows every two weeks. If I like this movie, can I talk about it? And they said, yes. Here I am talking about it because I oh, loved it. Busting embargo. <laughs> yeah, I'm busting nice embargo because I even told them I'd bust it. But uh, I think embargo's till Monday. But but they they said, hey, you know, I said, hey, if I love it, can I talk about it? Um, here's the thing, and this this is interesting. This is directed by Simone Scafidi. I heard about this maybe a few months ago that it was coming out. It's played at festivals, yeah. so. I think there'll be some people, what people might bump against is also what I think makes it really great. It's um It's a portrait of Dario Argento now. So what one thing I didn't know about him is he writes everything he's ever written. He checks into a hotel, doesn't matter which hotel, something isolated and stays there the entire time to write it by himself. Um you know, so that's what he's done his whole career. It's how he gets a feel for it, how he gets creeped out, how he did. And so again, something I wouldn't have known about him. So it, the movie shoots a lot of him now checking in at you know dario at 80 checking into a hotel to write something new and so it's like does he write it like in like a week or is no he he's there, there for like, a while i think screenplays take like six no, weeks no i think he's there the time, yeah so. i don't they didn't say but i think he's i think that's the idea i think the idea is he's just you know off the radar for a while and i don't know if this is him writing they don't really say what he's writing it could have been when he was writing the new one dark glasses but i know he's meant to make a new film in the next year if if that's still on the book. So it could have been that. But the point is, there's stuff in it that most some people watching would be like, well, that's a waste of time because it's like him arriving at a hotel. But the process of it is super interesting and seeing this guy and and you get everything. You get Dario now, you know, looking back at his life, talking about things, which I th- I always love those kind of documentaries. Like De Palma is one of my favorite documentaries from a few mm-hmm. years ago. Um, and then you also get uh, Gaspar Noe. Uh, it's not a, not a ton of people, but you get Gaspar Noe, Nicholas Reffin, 
Guillermo del Toro as are the three big kind of contemporary directors who go back and talk about why they're just so impressed with him, what he did and how he changed how they saw movies. Then you get his collaborators, Michelle Sovi, uh, Claudio Simonetti, and all talking about his work. But what really makes this a unique documentary, and I think um, I, I just really appreciated it now because I've, I already know a lot about him. And he is, you know, he's one of the top two or three directors of my whole like love, you know, uh, mm-hmm. he, Mine too. it, it it's about family. It's really it, a lot of stuff with Fiore Argentino is one of his daughters, Asia Argento, uh, one of his ex-wives talking, his his sister is interviewed a lot. And so you realize this is such a family person. I mean, there's just one part which really surprised me that, you know, because Dario Nicolidi and him have had a pretty, you know, pretty tumultuous, like a, a good relationship at the start. Yeah, it went bad. I don't think Dario Argento would immediately think family man. No, and that's and, and and it's fascinating. At a point, it turned out to be the opposite that his daughters chose at a certain point to live with him and not Dario Nicolidi because he was so much better, so much more grounded, and so much better at being a normal family dad. And I'm l- watching it going, well, that's fascinating. Like I did not know this about him, and and you hear them talking about it. they love their mom, but they're like it. She's it's kind of hard to you know crazier lifestyle and stuff. So there's all this, and you realize his dad, you actually, it actually really explains, because a lot of people, you look over his work and you go, okay, post Tenebrae, it changes a bit, and, you know, opera might be the last really great one, but then there's still good stuff. They address that. They talk about how he, he talks about how he changes. He talks about how Italian TV really changes the culture in Italy and the kind mm-hmm. of movies that could get made. But the big one is his dad dies after Tenebrae, and his dad produced every single film he made. His dad was his number ah. one guy, Salvatore Argento. And so there's stuff about his mom as a photographer. It's just, you know, some people will be like, oh, but I want it to just be clips to the movies. And and it's like, yeah, that's not this movie. It has a lot of that. And there's some great clips about him. And it, and it walks its way kind of through. But for a 90-minute film, it really packs in family, artistic vision, and it's not all a puff piece. Like there's moments where Asia's like, you know, talks about some of the difficulties of, of a relationship like theirs, but also the beauty of it. I just loved it. I thought it was such a, it's it's what I'm looking for in these kind of docs. There, for those who want that other version, there is already a film out there called Dario Gento and I for horror from 2000. That was like, you know, the early, just the punks, lots of, yeah. lots of, clubs. I love that film too. That was like one of those things I needed to own when I was young, but as a, as a companion to see this, and especially because he was just the star of Gaspar Noe's new film, and Noe even talks about why he cast him. He's like, he's just a total actor. You always watch him. I'd watch him and do Q and A's for an hour and be like, this guy should be acting. Um, and it's, I don't know, I loved it. I'm so happy that there's gonna, you know, that he's getting his real deserves because he's not just a horror director. He's like, in terms of like visual artists, like you can you could stack him up and like of visual artists who are film directors, like in a echelon maybe of 10 contemporary directors with the De Palmas oh, and people yeah. like that. So uh, it's just that he happened to make all his films in horror. Right. So it's, so it's, he's just a very interesting figure, but um, super cool, really excited for people. I know, I know, you know, people are always mixed on these things. They want it to be a certain way, but I think the fact that it's showing you saying what we don't already know about him is, mm-hmm. is, you know, the point of documentaries a lot of times. So that's going to be out next Friday. Dario Argento, Panico. Excellent. Um, okay, I'm going to round us out by running down a list of graphic novels that I read during okay. the holiday, because I haven't covered graphic novels in a while. And my goal, I will say, um, for this year is to cover at least one graphic novel and one regular novel on every show. Did you see my last, um, my Goodreads? I've read three I novels. Did. 
Elric has read three novels, y'all. I watched and he 50 didn't... movies and three novels. I didn't want to watch 50 movies, but I did. Uh, three novels. But it's also because my work hasn't really picked up yet. Work's about to pick up. So, uh, But I, they're Japanese. I've been digging into them. I'll talk about them somewhere else because I want to. Yeah. You so you can follow. You've been following me on Goodreads. You can now find Elric there as well because that was his big incentive from uh, December. Is he was like, I can only read books if there's like a letterbox for books. And I was like, there is. Yeah, she turned me on to so, it. I haven't really yeah. started following people yet, but because it's just to hold myself accountable but what i will say i was going to tweet this but it it's actually causing me real anxiety you get used to letterboxd then you go to goodreads they don't do half stars and it's mm. killing me because i watched it i read a book that i'm like <laughs> three stars is too low but i can't give it four because it's not a and i was like oh my god what do i do and i gave it three and i felt kind of bad because it was good but it wasn't like oh, i'm a half star guy i love giving half stars so goodreads if you're listening please develop the half star I'm sure they're going to change it for our podcast now. So, I'm not alone. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people like the half star function. <laughs> I've never even read stuff on Goodreads either because I, I always am like, I'll change my mind. Yeah, but then like, you can change just, the review. I like, I like but that. I don't do that. Like I'll be, you know, driving and like six months from now and I'll suddenly be like, that book wasn't as bad as I thought it was. And then I will never remember to go back and I, there will always be like a two star review when there should have been three. Well, and the reason I, I still feel- like rating stuff, I know a lot of people, especially people more connected industry t- tend to stop rating at some point. But the reason why I think it's still great to do it is you can't look at somebody's letterbox who just watches a movie and then get excited to watch it because they watched it. Cause that doesn't tell you anything about whether it's worth watching or not. So, so like if you're, it's if true. you give a three and a half to some crazy old Jalalo, yeah. who cares? I could, the, the argument I'd say probably to the industry people use it, I'd say maybe you just don't do really contemporary brand new things and things associated with people, but like from but, movies from seventies, eighties, who's going to give a flag fuck? No one. But I ran into the problem where I would watch something from like 1992 and give it two stars. And then like months later I would meet that filmmaker. Yeah. And then I'm like, Oh God, he's going to look at my letterbox. And I feel shitty. I'm going to, ri- um, I'm risking it into the world. <laughs> but, okay, Cause it is about so, sharing things. Ultimately, whatever we're doing, we want to share. We want people to get turned on to cool stuff. Yeah, I will say I am deep into Catriona Ward's new book, Looking Glass Sound, oh, cool. that came out in 2023 that I hadn't gotten to yet. And I've got, um, I just finished a bunch more graphic novels that I'll save for next show, but three that I read during um, my COVID couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, so these were awesome. First, Door uh, door to door, night by night. I picked this up because it's Colin Bunn. He's been on our show several times before. I will read anything Colin does. And plus, this is Vault. And I have been really digging a lot of the stuff that Vault has been doing. Um, they're definitely kind of making They did autumnal last yep, year. So like they're doing some really tight stuff in the horror space. This one is really cool. It is about a group of traveling salesmen, which um, I don't know if you had anything like this in New Zealand, but it was very much a thing in Southern Appalachia, Virginia, where a group of people will roll into a town and they will go door to door giving away family portraits, or it's like $10 for like an Olin Mills family portrait. And all the money goes to your local fire department. And so we did it when I was a kid, we got all of our family portraits that way when I was a kid, because mom would always be like, we're donating to the fire department. And then you go and they snap a bunch of other pictures and you upgrade your package. And that's how Olin Mills makes money off of it. And so um, it is about a group of traveling salesmen who their job is to go town to town and push these pictures and they keep half of it. So $5 of each one goes to the fire department and five goes to them for making the sale. And on the way, they pick up this hitchhiker who is real cagey and weird. 
And that night she leaves the group. They're trying to convince her to join their team. Like she seems like a real people person, join our sales group. And that night she leaves the group and she goes to this deserted house. And one of the guys follows her and there he sees a real life monster demon and she fights it and destroys it. And she says, I can't join your crew. I travel town to town fighting these monsters. And now that you've seen it, you can never unsee it. You will now see it everywhere you go. And so as they pick back up and they're like, hey, and that was a wild fucking night and start traveling town to town again, they realize that they are now seeing this weird stuff and that it is now on them to kind of battle this evil that they have been seeing. And so really cool premise, really good characters because it is this kind of ragtag group of traveling salesmen. Really good stuff. So I deeply enjoyed that one. I know it continues. I read volume one. I know it's still going. So keep going with it because I loved it. Um, This one, Ghosted. Ghosted, this is an old one from like 2013. So this is almost 10 years old. It took me a while to circle to it. But had a blast with this one as well. This is from Image, I believe. Yeah, Image. It is about a very rich, eclectic man who collects supernatural oddities. So picture like, um, oh gosh, the conjuring couple. Why did their name just as the Warrens? Mm -hmm. So like the Warrens where they collect supernatural oddities. But if it was like Elon Musk doing that and he could buy like every weird fucked up supernatural object in the world that was even remotely connected to a murderer ghost. And the guy determines that he has every supernatural weirdo object he could possibly ever want. But the big thing he really wants in his collection is he wants to own a ghost. Mm. And so he hires this career criminal who's like robbed banks and, you know, all of these different scams to put together a team to go into this incredibly haunted house that is about to be demolished. They know it's going to be torn down within a week and steal a ghost and it's supposed to be the most one of the most haunted houses in america and so their job is to break into the house and figure out how to trap a ghost and steal it and bring them back to this guy so this guy will now own a spirit and um it's great it was very much like you know the ragtag group of criminals like it feels expendables ish but all within the realm of kind of a 13 ghost. I'm really shocked this has not been made into a movie yet. And it's now like 10 years old. So I assume it's kind of open at this point. So anybody out there ghosted, it was a really cool premise because it did have this kind of 13 ghost meets expendables vibe to it. Last one I will talk about. Holy fuck. Night of the ghoul was amazing. This one I want to borrow from you. Yeah. I've been hearing so much good stuff about this. I know it's already kind of being courted to become something bigger um but yeah night of the ghoul i've been hearing a lot about it this one is from dark horse it starts out with this guy and his son who show up at what you think is a nursing home like a convalescent home and they say it's really late at night and they're like yeah we're insurance adjusters and we have to go in and talk to this old man who was there and clearly dying um about his insurance and kind of last wishes and how he wants his final days to play out And they get in there and they close the door and they're like, oh my God, we found you. We know who you really are. And then they disclose that he is this film director from the 1920s who made this absolutely crazy film called Night of the Ghoul, which was never released because supposedly half the footage was lost and there was all this tragedy on set. But you learn that this guy is not an insurance adjuster. He works at a film studio, specifically like a film storage facility, and he found the footage. Mm. And he's watched like half the movie and he's trying to figure out where the rest of the footage is and what the story is behind it. 
And that all happens within like the first four pages. That's literally like the cold open of this. And then you get the story of what happened on the film Night of the Ghoul, what happened on the set, the story behind it, the mom. Oh, gosh, this was so good. This was just so good. Is that film one book? Just so covers. I know. It. One book. One book. One all book. the all the issues. Okay. One go. book. When I Straight see this week, I want novel. it. I want it. I don't think this was ever. It may have been released as issues, but I okay. definitely it read as a graphic novel. Cool. Um, sometimes when I'm reading these volume collections, I usually I do weeklies. Sometimes, like I did weeklies with Deviant back during December, which was awesome. Um, but usually I'll wait for the volumes because yeah. I do like to sit down and read them like a like a big comprehensive thing. Um, a lot of times when I'm reading them, you can feel the the breaks. You can feel where it's breaking for the the single um, monthly issues. This I didn't feel it. This read like a novel. So if it was doing weeklies, entirely possible because it's Star Horse. It reads really well as a straightforward novel. I read this all in one sitting, like three hours one night, just laying in bed with COVID. Cool. And it's so fucking good. So Scott Snyder's Night of the Ghoul, it's awesome. I'm currently reading Monica by Dan Klaus, and I'm really taking my each chapter, I taking my time and putting it down at the end of the night because I love his stuff is so good. And just but it's it would be too easy to get through it too quick. And so it, it's less of a full story than it is little vignettes by just the way he sees he's my he's my all-time favorite like artist writer character so um such a fan you know what i'm reading uh looking glass now but you know what else i just got yesterday i took a trip um to the los angeles public library and i just picked up blood of the virgin which oh, cool. i know yeah. was like one of your faves it's Monster, my favorite right? thing yeah it's, it's so cool it, it, you'll it's less of a it sounds like a hard thing it's much less a hard thing than it is more like corman world filmmaking so you'll dig it regardless because it's that world uh it's so cool it's and that you could read in just a couple reads but well that's pretty good because it was it was um it just came out last year so it was considered a new release so i'm on a 14 day loan oh, yeah. so i gotta get that shit back in two weeks so i gotta jump in. yeah it's really cool um okay well that is what we've been watching and uh and that somehow reading. still felt yeah and reading and watching uh, and still fresh, even though uh, we did all these things two weeks ago. But now let's look forward to the future because we are going to kind of just charge through five upcoming horror things. You know, last year was a pretty great year in movies, pretty good year in horror, but not a great year compared to maybe a couple of years previously recently. So this year will be interesting. There's a lot of big things, interesting things coming, but we also will see at some point the effects of a long, long strike, probably towards the end of the year, we'll start to see that there'll be less stuff. Uh, so I am curious, but let's take it away with our five hard things. They could be films. They could be anything. I think I did all films, but um, what I have a book on here. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to kick us off with Beetlejuice 2. Uh, makes sense. Um, only took like 30 years or so to get more um, to get this film made. But I am so excited to see what they do with it. Um, original cast, Michael Keaton back, and then somehow also Jenny Ortega and Willem Dafoe. This one is coming in September of 2024. You've already been seeing kind of footage of it, behind the scenes stills, things like that. Um, I, I cannot wait to see what happens with it, you know, this much later like where does it go from here obviously the fact probably the fact that they became a hit musical that had a went a long Which way into, yeah well no it makes sense that it would be back in the zeitgeist to to warrant mm -hmm. a sequel and that michael keaton has had like a nice career comeback so it we haven't seen michael keaton play a fun role since his kind of come like Birdman's not necessarily fun, it's kind of depressing and depressing. Uh, spotlight's super depressing, but he's great in it. It's like we haven't seen him cut loose, so I'm like, I want to see that again. I'm curious what he'll be like cutting loose again. Well, 
I'm intrigued because the teaser posters that they've been putting up, they're playing Beetlejuice as it looks like scary. Oh, like it is very much like this shadowy figure in the background and you still know it's him. <laughs> and I'm sure it's going to be comedic, but the teasers that they are doing, he is scary okay. in them. Yeah, I'll be curious. Um, all right. My number five is less that I think this will be a great movie. I'm more just I'm super freaking curious about adaptation, which is Faces of Death, a movie that you wouldn't be straight away going, yes, remake that as a narrative fiction movie. But here we are. And it's the director of uh, from last year's How to Blow Up a Pipeline, which is my, in my top 10 of last year. Just it's a great, great movie. Yeah, great, solid procedural. Really interesting. Um, I thought it deserved an Oscar for uh, adaptation just because it's the most unlikely adaptation. It's from like a philosophical text or something. Um, and he also made Cam in 2018, the horror film Cam. Uh, so very interesting director, Daniel Goldhaber. And he. this is, I guess it is the one of the stars of Barbie. Uh, her name was, uh, no, no, not Barbie, Euphoria. Her name is Barbie. Euphoria. Her name's Barbie. Barbie Ferreira. Uh, she is, uh, I, I think from what I've, there's very little online about what the kind of concept is, but I think it's going to be somebody. Just, I heard it's like it's haunted video. Yeah, somebody tape. discovering a tape playing it and something bad happening. Outside that, I have no clue, but it just, and I haven't seen anything or, you know, so I'm just deeply like, because this is taking something that was the ultimate of video net. Like there, there aren't anything else that compares to the kind of the legend around the, even though it's largely fake around this particular film. So to make it a mainstream, to take it into the mainstream and make a movie, is super interesting tells us all we need to know about what ip is nowadays which is anything anything could be IP anything from the past even faces <laughs> of death so i look forward to seeing what they do with that i was having to explain this to my students a couple of days ago because they were i was talking about faces of death and they were like so what it's just like a collection of videos and i was like yeah but this was in a time before like live leak and um youtube so yeah. you know renting this weird like homespun videotape from like a mom and pop video store that shows like car wrecks and a man being eaten by an alligator. Like this was, and it was half of it was fake. I remember there was one that was like a giant leech attacking a woman when she swam too close to a nuclear power plant. You can tell it's fake. It's like a giant black thing glued across her chest. But then other parts were like legit, like here's people eating monkeys. And so it had this Mondo film element mixed with really over the top horror. And so, yeah, now I can, it does not hold the same chic as it does, because now you can watch all this shit and more online with, you know, a single Google search. I wish that, that. Uh, Twitter didn't rebrand to X. I wish Twitter became Faces of Death. It was just, you faces go, did you death. post a Faces by Death? Because <laughs> that's what it is for me. It's just car crashes and weird sex that pops up. And I'm like, oh, great. That's all I get it's anymore so, is sex on so Twitter. It's like down every down, single yeah. time I go in, every tweet that has me tagged in it has the word wet yeah. in the title. And I'm like, eh, no, it's gone pretty bleak out there. It used to be cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, sidebar. But yes. okay, so Faces of Death. I'm going to take us to a graphic novel that I'm excited about because I wanted to include just one of them at least. And this is coming from Dark Horse by Steve Niles. And I'm just going to assume that he made this for me. It is called Satan Swarm and it is about evil killer bugs. Um, So that's just, you know, I'm in. I have no idea what it's about beyond Satan Swarm being giant killer bugs, but I'm in. I'm in. Steve Niles and killer bugs. Satan Swarm, let's do this. This is coming in April from Dark I just, we got sent a screener today. I don't know if you did, but I think you probably did at the same time about one and this if this is on your list is this the shark movie about the plane crashing in the water and then there's sharks i, I know as soon as i saw that i was like oh my god this was made for becca it doesn't matter if it's good it's because uh, there was one of those airport movies i think airport 77 it's a really good movie it's where the plane crashes into 
goes deep sea it's on the bottom of the thing it's like jack lemon's the pilot and it's really good but doesn't have sharks so what's the cruise ship that flips upside uh, poseidon down? adventure poseidon yeah. adventure yeah I like okay. that one too. so yeah which is a great movie yeah. but no sharks yeah. no the day that they did a press release on this one so it's a plane crash trapped at the bottom of the ocean and they can't get out of the plane because of sharks like all around um, the day that they did the announcement on this, I messaged Mark Ward and I was like, I need a screener of this now. Okay, and that's so- probably why we both got it. To- and I will just because we're yeah. talking about it. I just pulled it up. It's called No Way Up. We haven't seen it yet, but it's called No Way Up. I'm so excited to watch. This. No, I can't wait to. Okay, so that will be on your next one. Next episode. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Next episode. I'll get that in. Um, okay. So Satan Swarm coming in April. Dark Horse. Yeah, I, I have as much to say about this one, too. Number four, a no brainer. I could not be more excited about the fact that we get a new alien film, Alien Romulus, a standalone, which is important uh, because it's not part of another trilogy or saying standalone alien film directed by Fetty Alvarez. To me, that is like the most exciting possible scenario, like a guy who can just make movies that just fucking rock is taking on something so fun. And I've almost never really been disappointed by an alien film. Like even even Alien vs. Predator is still watchable, right? It's It's like kind of fun. and. But, but the main ones are almost all uniformly brilliant to mm-hmm. very good. And so the fact that, and I heard, according to Fetty, at least he showed, he screened it recently for Ridley Scott once he finished. And, and apparently the quote was, that's fucking amazing. And so if Ridley Scott says that's fucking amazing, I'm excited about it. It has, um, the lead actress, which I think will be interesting from the new Priscilla, the movie. Uh, she's one of them, uh, Kaylee Spaney and, um, Isabel Merquette, which is Dora the Explorer from the Dora movie. I loved the. Dora the Explorer movie. I know that's a weird thing to say, but it was fun. And so the only thing I know about this, and it might not even be true, but one of the actors leaked that they said it took place between Alien 1 and 2. So so timeline-wise. So it's like, cool. Okay. But Alien Romulus, um, it says August 16th, so that'll be summer. Something to look forward to in summer. Okay, so I'm going to take us to Speak No Evil. Oh, yeah. Now, this is a Scandinavian film that Ulrich and I covered. I can't remember if it's Norway or, um, oh gosh, Sweden. What's I think the other one? Film? Is Holland. The other... what? Holland no? and Denmark? Denmark's definitely one of them. Denmark. I, They're Danes Denmark and, and Netherlands, I maybe. Remember. I think Netherlands, Danes and Netherlands, but. We're just calling out countries, y'all. Yeah. It's all the countries. Anyway, the point being, we had covered this film a couple of years ago. It came to Shutter, and it was about. Two families that meet on vacation and they're from two very different countries that are right next to each other. And I'm going to Google this as soon as I'm done talking. So I'm not sounding so um, off on it. But two families from neighboring countries who become friends and decide to kind of go visit each other. But they get there and they discover that it's not even that customs are different, just their general demeanors. Like one family and it's the culture is very curt, tends to just say what they think. They, you know, if suddenly they want to make out with somebody, they're just going to make out with them. Whereas the other culture, the other family tends to be very buttoned up. They tend to be very reserved. They tend to be very quiet. And so throughout the course of their week together, you gradually see the one family kind of becoming louder and the other family becoming more unnerved, but trying to still be really polite about everything that's going on until it turns into a horror film. And this came out, uh, gosh, it was probably 2020. And it was honestly one of my most haunting films I had seen that year. It gets really fucked up at the end. 
Oh, it's probably um, one of the darkest is... of the decade in terms of where it goes. So fucked it's, up. And yeah. so this is being remade by James Watkins um, as the director starring James McAvoy. And so I want to see what they do with an American remake of this because we, you know, where do you set it? Is this like an American Canada thing? Because that kind of strong division does not exist unless it becomes like a class thing. I'm intrigued to see how they do this, how they get that kind of cultural differences unless it becomes like a political thing too which would be almost so too I'm, on the nose that's the thing too on the this nose. is quite a yeah, subtle like- movie until it's not it's it's really yeah. subtle and then it goes really really hanicky hard at the end hanicky is yeah. the best comparison and i feel like you know if they just did like a red versus blue state it's gonna be yeah, too, too obvious yeah, too easy so it's got to be something more subtle because that's what was so good about the original is it was just these subtle cultural differences that at first it just seems like ha 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 okay so that's what you do um like you know you're insulting me by not eating my dinner that's like a very cultural thing and it keeps escalating until it explodes and so yeah speak no evil this one's coming to theaters august 9th and while you're talking about your next one i'm going to see what the actual two original cult countries I th- before you do that i'm going to predict sweden and denmark that's my final i think it was unless sweden, it's denmark, denmark and amsterdam but, but um netherlands but anyway uh hold on i'm here it was dane danes, danes or uh, denmark, Danish yeah. and dutch so dutch is so, amsterdam yeah yeah, so it was uh, Danes and Dutch. So Netherlands, so, yeah. Netherlands, and um, Denmark. Interesting. Okay, because yeah. Swedes and Denmark also share border, and they are very similar, but there are different. Yeah, yeah. And it was all about like passive um, veganism and versus like aggressive behaviors and swearing, and it was just these cultural differences. I feel like I can guess which one I think McAvoy will play. And that would be a good thing because <laughs> mm-hmm. I do like when McAvoy gets something juicy. So let's hope. And he's had good luck with Blumhouse before. So uh, yeah. obviously, but um, okay. So my next one really kicks in the heads. That is Maxine, um, which is sadly a reference to uh, what's going on behind the scenes to extras on that set. But uh, from what we hear, but anyway, Maxine is the third installment of Ty West bloody trilogy. Nothing can stop me. No, no outrages of onset violence can stop me from wanting to see this movie. I'm very <laughs> excited about it. I've, uh, well, I love the first one. I like the second one a lot, the, the prequel, uh, Pearl a lot. Um, but I'm most excited to see a different style film. And I think that's what's been so cool about these for him. He's not just some guy cashing in on a trilogy. He's making wildly different movies. Pearl is wildly different than X. And I think this will be mm-hmm. even more so. I think this will be very 80s synthwave. I've heard it's a love letter to Argento and th- that kind of filmmaking that might even be a giallo of some kind. But it is uh, the character of Maxine who survives X, goes to Los Angeles, becomes an actress. I don't know if it's set in the porn world. There's been There was some early talk of that or if it's just... <laughs> It was. Yeah, or if it's just going to be like movie acting. Like, we'll see. Probably both, but it has like... The fact yeah. that it's called XXX, I feel like No, it but that's is her name. It, it, we'll see. I, I assume that too, but who knows? Or maybe it'll be like normal acting, but then drifting into that. Uh, we can hope. Because uh, I... Well, I mean, she's a porn actress. She was. She was, yeah, yeah. Wood, so, uh, yeah. But this has some really big hitters in it that makes you actually guarantee that it's the porn world, like Kevin Bacon, of course. Uh, Giancarlo Esposito. Uh, oh, I think Kevin Bacon, I immediately think porn. I do, I, for so, whatever. Yeah. Probably because of that movie with... Uh, What's the, what's the one where he comes out with this uh, full bacon out? Uh, Wild thing. Um, it's pretty great. It's uh, <laughs> but Lily Collins. It's full bacon. He calls us full bacon. <laughs> he goes full bacon, um, and he is full bacon. So hats off to Kevin Bacon. He he backs it up with full bacon. Um, anyway, I think Maxine's going to be the best of the three. That's my feeling, my gut, and I will. I 
this is opening night for me. Okay. Um, I will join you, I yes. assume, at the new Bev for this one. Yeah, if they, yeah, they put it on film again, at yes. At the new Bev, sure. I feel like we'll be there. Um, okay, next up for me, Robert Eggers Nosferatu. Yeah. Wow. I mean, like, it makes sense, but it was it felt unexpected for me. So this is the witch and the lighthouse guy. Okay, yeah, so Nosferatu totally tracks. So remaking a one of our earliest horror films um, from 1920s. And this one, it's got Bill Skarsgård. He's bringing Willem Dafoe back, but not playing Nosferatu in this one like he did in Shadow of a Vampire. It's a different, um, yeah. So, and this one, and this is a swing of a release window. Christmas Day to release a horror film on Christmas Day. And most films are hesitant to release that late in the year because it knocks them out of a lot of Oscar and award discussions. And so I'm kind of, it's it's a baller move. Yeah, I kind of wish that would be more in the Halloween region, but yeah, interesting. So right now, Christmas Day. The challenge is, can they make it scary? That's what I want to see because I don't feel any of the other versions, they're scary in their way and maybe at the time, but like, you know, Werner Herzog's looks gorgeous and it's, weird but it never creeps me out no uh, i mean it's kinsky, kinsky and... so he's kind of he's just creepy yeah. to begin with but it's much more about like watching kinsky chew furniture than it is about you know it actually being scary yeah. and the original's the same the original it's unnerving um but you know it was 1920s it was far more like you know about making it expressionistic and very artistic and not exactly you know jump scares of the 1920s were not really a thing yet so Interesting. Yeah, no, I'm I'm excited about this one too. My number two uh, is, you know, I'm very curious. David Cronenberg uh, coming back with another mm-hmm. film, maybe last. We'll see. Um, called The Shrouds, and very weird idea. Uh, and he says it's very personal, like his most personal film. So probably to do with death. Uh, you know, he must be just under eighty still. Uh, he is about an uh, innovative businessman. It says who's a grieving widower. He builds a device in a controversial new cemetery where people can pay and there's a device that allows you whenever you want to come visit and and see your loved one, you can see them as they're buried and you can watch them decompose in real time. And it is a way to connect to the dead. And I'm like, well, that sounds bleak as fuck. Uh, But because it's Cronenberg, I'm like, that's interesting. It's Vincent Cassell's the main guy, Diane Kruger, Guy Pierce. And I'm like, okay, like, I don't know what this is going to be yet. But it just sounds like such a Cronenberg. Uh, it just sounds so perfectly him, you know, and, and to make a yeah. movie about death like that when you're, you know, approaching 80 as a filmmaker like that, that's that's a really interesting somebody who wants to look at it, not be scared to look at it. Um, so I'm in whatever it is. OK, that I'll be there with you. At the <laughs> Watching our nearly departed. Uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'll be the one unnerved next to you as you yes. get giddy. Yeah, exactly. so, yeah, that sounds like something that's going to fuck me yeah. up. Um, okay, so these weren't in random order, but I am. This is uh, definitely one of the big ones that I'm looking forward to. Another one about a potentially cursed videotape. This is Paul Tremblay's new book. Yes. Now, I've always been a huge Paul Tremblay fan. On June 11th, though, he is releasing a book entitled Horror Movie. And the box of it, the cover of it, looks like a videotape. And just reading the bare bones log line that has been released on it, it sounds like a cursed videotape movie or book. Um, so I am in for anything Paul Tremblay does. He's such a huge horror fan. So to see him kind of return to this, it is a horror film. Or it is, I'm, I take that back. It is about a horror film that is shot in 1993 
that is getting a reboot and it's not a videotape that's cursed. It's like the film and Mm. something about the film coming back to haunt people. Again, real vague. I'm talking about things I don't really know about because they gave you like a sentence. Um, So yeah, it's about a reboot of some type of film in 1993 that is cursed. And so it's got this 90s video vibes. I'm intrigued for whatever it is. And if I was him and I was listening to this podcast, I'd be like, man, I should send both of them early advanced copies. Oh, I've you know, already been to, in touch just, with just him. to get it out there. You know, I already well, this is a much more public him. shaming attempt on my part. So if Paul's <laughs> listening, we were so I'm not just flubbing yeah. my way through a small log line yeah. that they gave me trying to expound upon it. Yeah. Um, we'll get that. We'll get that book. Yeah, no, I'm excited. excited. A great cover. I, I just marked it on Goodreads like, I want to read this. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, my last one is the one I am just most excited about. Uh, it was just Nicolas Cage's 60th birthday a couple of days ago. He's announced he's retiring from films. He said he's going to do two or three more movies and then... Yeah, right. I totally believe it. I totally do because... Uh, oh my God, this is like Motley Crue's final mm-hmm. concert. He's not like, going to stop so- acting, but I think yeah, he just right. said, I've done... Well, the difference with Cage is, though, is like he has been on a track for the last decade making like five or six movies, a lot of them not great, straight to video mm-hmm. stuff for money. That will burn a person out. And I think he's been making in the last like few years. He's had one one in the last three years where he's given like the best performance of the year, like three times in a row, still mm-hmm. kind of multi- each time snubbed by the Oscars and like Pig should have won an Oscar. Uh, and so I'm kind of like, OK, maybe he does feel like he's done it all but he but his he said his son showed him a show called he goes he show me the show it's called breaking bad and and i seeing what that actor could do in that i was like oh my god i want to do something like that so he, he has said he wants to do tv after this so which is fascinating but anyway um i am if true detective nick cage season bring it I'll all i could it. say is bring it um anyway uh so he has a new film uh directed by uh black coat's daughter director oz perkins so you know i am in being very mysterious about the release, they're not saying much, called Long Legs, A24. It's just called Long Legs. It is, uh, Nick Cage plays the serial killer. Uh, there's an investigation, something to do with an occult organization. The main detective is Micah Monroe, who we all love, uh, mm-hmm. and is just doing good, great work after great work. And that's all I really know. And I think it's something like where the serial killer has been trying to maybe entrap that character, saying all from the start. Anyway, I don't know what it's going to be. But having just shown you Frozen Ground um, with Cage being the good guy, now we get to see Cage being the bad guy. Very exciting. Uh, And A24 style bad guy. Very interesting. So I am all for that one. And I would say there's another one that's outside the bubble, but would be a number one. It's unsure if it's coming out this year. Probably will drift into the next year. But that is the new Zach Kreger weapons you know, mm-hmm. post-barbarian movie, Pedro Pascal's in it. It's probably, nothing's known except it's like Magnolia in quote marks, people say, horror film. I'm like, okay, I am curious about that. But um, I don't know it's going to come out this year, so I didn't include it in the official list. But, you know, hey, that is all very cool stuff. Yeah. On A24, I will say, you should watch Dick's The Musical. Oh, it's that's an bonkers. A24? It's aiming to offend every single, you know, demographical yeah. group that there is out there. Um, but it's got horror notes to it. Okay. It does. And that's it it has this weird hen and lauder vibe with it that is just kind of like I did not expect it. It is not this is a very much like a musical theater movie. Um, to go in knowing that, but it's hilarious. I thought it was absolutely hilarious with this weird hen and lauder vibe happening. Well, another asterisk one well. from them I would put is it just played at Sundance this week. That's why I'm kind of even more excited now, which is the Rose Glasses new one, Love Lies Bleeding with Kristen Stewart mm-hmm. becoming like a buff bodybuilder and like a revenge film. And I'm like, fuck, yeah. Like, I want to see 
what Rose Glass would make as a crazy revenge film. So that's one hopefully we'll uh, maybe uh, try to get her on the show because we didn't get to really cover St. Maud because it didn't get a proper release at the time. So release that we were in pandemic. Yeah, so uh, I think there's some um, exciting stuff coming up. I'm going to quickly plug that I have two books releasing. Well, a book and a comic book. Um, Sometime in the fall, I have a YA graphic novel, Pretty Evil, which is, I compare it to like Evil Dead for 16-year-old girls. Coming from Simon & Schuster's McElderry Press, I will be talking more about it as it gets closer, but I am super excited to finally get my first graphic novel out there. Um, As well as from Dark Horse, I have a comic coming um, later in the fall um, called Barstow. Um, which is just a fun desert horror true crime. I love noir. I love desert so, set thrillers. You read Barstow? I, I, I think I saw it, like a pitch thing for it. I don't think I ever read. I think I I had it as a TV pitch eons yeah, ago. Yeah. And so I, I remember the concept, but I, I'm all that's one of yours that I definitely want to read because that's the kind of yeah. I just love that world. I never get sick of seeing things. That yeah, mean. crime noir desert. I'm all in. It's my Red Rock West. And so yeah, this is coming from Dark Horse, uh, probably like November December region. And I so. and I promise that uh, my film The Dead Thing will play in 2024. I just don't, I just play. don't know where yet because I'm just starting to send it right now. <laughs> I'm excited, so, but I did finish. That's, that's yes. um but yeah all right okay big year let's get josh forbes in yeah our first episode back let's talk to our buddy josh forbes okay we are back and joining us for the first time today even though today. we recorded this exact conversation two weeks ago, but uh, we want—it was destroyed by all our neighbors' uh, computers, computer hackers. Uh, we want to bring back a good friend of ours, Josh Forbes, uh, to talk about destroy all neighbors. But honestly, any extra time I can hang out with Josh Forbes is great. But it's also—it's it. also a plus Thank though you. because. Thanks. Well, I find this interesting. We did have this conversation. We've already talked about how our last episode didn't make it, but. We had a conversation on the day after the movie came out. It has now been two weeks. Mm-hmm. And at the time, Becca hadn't yeah. had a chance to see it either. So this yeah. is actually kind of cool. Now she has seen it. You've had two weeks of this film being out. Uh, you know, yeah. how's it been? How the, how the last two weeks been? Uh, pretty, pretty great. Pretty great. I mean, people have, it seems like the people have really been loving it. Um, we already have uh, one person who got a tattoo uh, of <laughs> That's Vlad. Amazing. That yeah, is absolutely amazing. I wish uh, I had that much like balls, like just to be like, yeah. I saw this like movie. I kind of <laughs> like. I'm gonna go get it tattooed on my body. Right, forever. Right. Like, I do not. I, I I will spend years deliberating oh, yeah. Yeah. tattoos and then completely abandon them for um, pretty yeah. good so, reason. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's there <laughs> forever. Right. I want that. I want. Th- I want to look back and be like, "Yeah, it's this movie I saw once. It like kicked ass. I got the tattoo the next day." I yeah. wish I had that type of, of just <laughs> fortitude to just. I'm standing by this. You're talking to a guy, Josh, and not everyone knows this. He has a back tattoo of white chicks. The film, uh, by the Waynes, yeah, and it yeah, is yeah, wild. Yeah. It's an uncanny <laughs> back tattoo. I'll tell you that. <laughs> it's pretty weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's for my wife. My I know, wife. I know. She's like, <laughs> we actually got a fight about that. She she like really remember she had watched that and she was like those those Wayne brothers are pretty good looking. Oh uh, yeah. No, actually, I was like yeah. I'm like yeah. They are yeah. Out of that white. Yeah. Uh, Elric just recently watched that movie for the first right? time. Yeah. I, I refused when it came out because it was the most uncanny looking freak. It just freaked me out the way it looked in yeah, the trailer. Yeah, yeah. And then my, yeah. I watched it a couple <laughs> days ago for the calendar. But yeah, I still find it to be. Um, it was it. Awkwardly cringy, I'll call it. Yeah, like, I, was I it just in don't preparation? Don't know how I feel for... about it. Yeah. 
for lady ballers. Oh yeah, it's heard about that. I have yeah. heard about that one. Yeah. Anyway, that's a, this is a digression <laughs> of back tattoos. Yeah. But, but we were, you know, super impressed by this movie, and like, you know, oh, it's yeah. a little weird because we have our we talked two weeks ago, but like part of the imp- the press part was a it's a it's a wild pitch of a movie for one that I remember being like, mm-hmm. oh shit, how will that get made? Mm-hmm. And B, it really has your voice, and that's the hardest thing to do for anyone is get a film made and still retain the kind of voice, the kind of personality and humor that is Josh Forbes. It is all over this thing. It is that movie. Now, I'm going (laughs) to start with a couple of questions that I'd asked Mm -hmm. in a prior interview because I was really into your answers that I want to be able to share with the world. Um, So first off, you shot this in LA, which isn't done much anymore. So I wanted to uh, talk about kind of how you were able to get this off the ground. Let's start with the pitch because this is is based off like a real life event for you, right? Which not that you killed all your neighbors, but no, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's what I'm saying. Legally, I'm not allowed to agree with what you're saying, but uh, (laughs) no. um, Yeah. I mean, I, I, I lived in little Armenia, like East Hollywood and, um, my buddy Charlie was living like in like Hollywood, Hollywood area. And we both were just, you know, we were just complaining about our neighbors. Like I, I was, I had this neighbor who would like bang on the wall when I had a newborn and he would just like scream, you know, that he was going to do terrible things to my child. And, uh, you know, or you would Jesus. just hear like, you just hear moaning in the hallway, like at three in the morning. And I'd, I'd peek out and this guy would just be like, j- like so drunk that he's just jamming his key into his doorknob. Like, you know, Can you imagine so I, how great the story would end up being if that turns out to be Alex Winter? Like, that's how you met him for the movie. That's Alex Winter. He's threatening your child. He's going to kill you. <laughs> I'm like, wait a second. <laughs> that would be great. Are you a lost boy? <laughs> um, and so I was, I was like complaining to my buddy Charlie, you know, saying, you know, because I would just lay at night just thinking of all the terrible things I would want to do to this guy or, or whatever, like, or what I might have to do to protect my family. And he was like, oh, I'll do you one better. And he, his story was very similar to what, to what ended up being in the movie. But he, like, he has this, this neighbor who would, like, psychologically, like, mess with him. Like, he would listen to Sade, uh, all, like, really loud. Um, what's, the, what's the big sh- what's the big Sade song? I can't remember. I don't um, know who Sade wrong, wrong is. podcast, sir. Yeah. yeah, sorry. How dare you? You asked the two least cool people Smooth in operator. the entire oh, okay. world. No, I like that song. Was the songs. Oh, oh, that's old. That's like before my <laughs> yeah. time. Okay, Smooth Operator, got it. <laughs> but that's just the most insane thing to hear very loud next door. Just smooth, yeah. you know, operator. Um, and so, he, so his neighbor, and he would like, you know, tell him like, hey, Charlie, feel my muscle. You know, just really w- intimidating. Yeah. And so... You know, so we started talking about it and, and, it, and eventually, like, you know, we, we got to the point where I was like, maybe there's a movie. Here. I mean, I probably say maybe there's a movie here, like probably three or four times a day, <laughs> like just about everything I see where I'm like, oh, that's weird. Maybe that's a movie. Um, but sure enough, like we were able to start outlining it. And uh, Charlie just, you know, he's a very enthusiastic guy and, and build in the draft. And then we, you know, 10 years later. Here we are. You know? Ten years. Is that how long it took? It took I think the first I think the first initial emails between us were like ten years ago. Now um, everybody at home, I assume, is like, holy shit, ten years to make a movie. That's kind of standard from like conception to actually like that's not insane. I've heard far worse. Yeah, it's not know. it's kind of not that bad. I mean, it's not like we were doing that doing only that. That would be insane. Um but um 
Yeah, I mean, so eventually, you know, we, we got a draft that we liked, and, and we ended up sending it uh, to John Array, uh, and he, I think in my email, I was like, hey, man, you know, I have this movie that I'm I'm working on, and it's like Barton Fink meets Evil Dead, you know, and he, like, his response was like, call me the fuck right now, <laughs> and so I did, and um, yeah, he, so he came on board, and he had so much input, and, you know, gave, put so much life into it, and and then at that point, um, brought in my friend Mike Benner, who's a writer for Bob's Burgers, and um, you know he he he, he kind of brought the the skill set that we needed, like the 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 ability to sort of break a story and I don't know uh, spell things correctly, <laughs> whatever. Um, not that Charlie couldn't spell things correctly, but uh, we know Charlie. Charlie's cool. Charlie. Charlie's we cool. love Charlie. Um, but anyway, but so Benner kind of like infused it with with a lot more comedy. Um, and then I think at that point, then, uh, you know, Jonah and I had seen, um, Bill and Ted three and we saw how, like we saw, uh, Alex when he's like in the, the big muscle, uh, he's like a prisoner. He's like a huge prosthetic, like prisoner guy. And we were both like, Oh shit, that's Vlad. Um, and so we, it was a total hail Mary. Um, which I, I have been told is a sports term for a last ditch effort. In football, um, yes. Yeah. So, we, you know, it was just like, hey, you know, we just wanted like to see if he just, you know, if he wanted to come on as a producer, or give us some notes or just, you know, whatever. And um, he read the script and he really liked it. And he was like, well, what do you want from us or for me? And I was like, well, I mean, if you want to play Vlad, you could. And he's like, that would be amazing. And so... From there, um, we had another writer, Jared Logan, hop on, and he, uh, you know, really spiffed it up. And um, you know, the 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 guy that I that I owe everything to is Joe Lynch, really. Like Joe, like J Jonah had told Joe about it, and he he got so excited that he um, sent it to his his buddies at Shutter. And this feels like a Joe Lynch project. Like I, yeah. it feels like something. I mean, knowing Joe's personality as well, like yeah. this feels like that. And he's a really um, enthusiastic right. uh, person yeah. who also does throw his weight behind things, which is great. I, I'm, a, I'm a little shocked that Al the Alex Winter connection didn't come through Freak, to be honest. I, I guess in my brain, there's so much connectivity between your film and Freaked just in the oh, yeah. in that cult vibe. Oh, feel. Sure. But it's so obviously you're well, a fan of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so Jonah, I mean, so Jonah had a office here in South Pasadena, and it was it it was right across the alley from Alex's office, and so like I didn't know Alex at all, and Jonah like knew him a little bit, and so yeah, while we were, while we would do notes and stuff, or you know, like break scenes, we, I, we would just fa I would just fantasize. I'm just like, dude, like Alex, you know, like I love Freak so much. So I was just yeah. like, we got to get this Alex Winner, you know, just so he can sprinkle some some freak dust on it um but yeah i mean movies like freak and even you know i i went back and saw bill and ted too um All produced by my co-teacher scott croup thank you thank you awesome, awesome. but the, yeah like there's just so much good prosthetic like like part two is very horror adjacent or you know in it yeah it yeah they go like to hell yeah quality. yeah but he like you know there's a bit where alex like becomes great granny preston mm -hmm. and is like chasing him through these hallways and stuff yeah, i forgot that it's scene really that scene scary. was like legit scary when i was a kid yeah and i love i mean i i read that I read the uh, the novelization of bill and ted's bogus journey <laughs> i kind of um, love that there is one 
Yeah. <laughs> Which is just because when I was a kid, yeah, when I was a kid, that was the thing. Like I, before a movie came out, I would get really excited and I would read the novelization. So I knew about, you know, like I'd read the Batman book before I saw the movie. So I told everybody, uh, you know, all the spoilers or whatever. Just a weird phenomenon. It's weird to so think. I wanna... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, it's weird to think like Freaked was a a movie that we all love and it's like a total cult, but it was a complete failure when it landed. But like you think about the times now, had Freaked came out today, it would have gone directly to Shutter and would have been beloved mm-hmm. by everyone who subscribes to that channel. You know, it would have found its yeah. audience straight yeah. away. So movies have just changed so much in how we receive them. Yeah, wow. that budget was, he, he was telling me about it. Like they had a really big budget. That was like a studio movie, which is that insane. That was like but... 90s. Like that that would have had yeah. a decent budget, I feel like, yeah. especially coming off of like Bill and Ted for him. So yeah. well, what I want to ask about is, so Alex is in full prosthetic makeup for the entire film. I'd love to hear mm-hmm. about the creation of it. And then how mm-hmm. long did it take to put on and get off every day? Um, yeah, especially yeah. because sometimes his head is in weird places. Like, I kept thinking, <laughs> did they right. have to put him in the couch before they put the prosthetic on? Like, it was the whole question of, like, how right. you were managing it. Um, yeah. So, I mean, to, I guess to put it on, it, it took three hours, which he said is, is a lot lighter than it normally has been in the past. And then he said that, I guess, like, to take it off, it's pretty immediate. Um, So he's, you know, apparently the technology is better. Um, And, you know, I think it was kind of a nice thing for him. I mean, obviously, we were all in this hot warehouse, like, in a a hotter, even a hotter set. And so he was in, like, you know, this this air-conditioned room with, with his... With his old buddy Bill Corso, who who did all the Bill and Ted movies with them, and um, you know Bill Corso was doing all the a- application of the makeup. Um, but the, uh, the the origin of it was was from uh, Gabe Bartalos. Um, Gabe was an uh, was another part of the dream team that you know early on when I was just me and Charlie. Char- you know Charlie had worked with Gabe. He'd worked at his, his studio, and so that was always in the back. Our back pocket was like, okay, well maybe we can get this to Gabe Bartolo. Um, and sure enough, like once things started to go, he got really excited about it. And then, um, yeah, so he, so he so he sculpted Vlad. I mean, we had I presented him a bunch of different ideas. Like my idea was more like a like kind of a big bald, like fleshy, uh, almost like bowling pin of a person. Um, mainly based on a, a neighbor that I had, um, but um, we kind of didn't want it to be such a like a a super overweight like like it, it didn't want to be like making fun of we want to be fat shaming I guess um, so so we wanted it to be more realistic which is which is a good impulse I think my impulses are like let's make everything insane but Alex is like well let's have it be a real person it's just that in in Jonah's head he's a he's a monster. Um, and so, yeah, so he, he just started coming up with different, like, uh, sketches and that was the one that we landed on. Um, but it was just really important to us that, that it, that it was something that felt iconic, that felt, you know, that you, that you could do like a Halloween costume of it if you wanted, you know, that was always a big, um, that was, some, that was something that Violent J from the Insane Clown Posse taught me. Is he's like, you know, you go, what's the action figure, man? He's gonna dress like it for Halloween, you know. 
Um, Which I have to say, a couple of years ago, Josh went to Gathering of the Juggalos mm-hmm. um, to hang out with Insane Clown Posse. Yeah. Like, you were, <laughs> yeah. you, were you making yeah. a documentary or were you just like friends? Like, I'm just going to hang out with them. I met him because I'm. I've been doing this documentary about Gallagher for forever, and um, so I I interviewed them for that, and then and kind of became friends with Milo and Jay. Are they big Gallagher fans? This is getting well, weird. Gallagher, well, Gallagher performed at the uh, at the gathering of the Juggalos uh, one year. Did not did not expect that. Okay, yeah. <laughs> you go on. And uh, there's they have, they have a really funny story of um one of their one of their buddies, this guy named Upchuck the Clown has this hilarious story about like it was it was his job to find Gallagher for the show for the 3 a.m. show and Upchuck like found him in his car passed out and he thought he was dead um so he was terrified like oh no like I was supposed to be watching after Gallagher and he died but he uh but he was alive at the time um did he make and, it to the 3 a.m. show at yeah, Gathering yeah, of the Juggalos he, okay. he killed it yeah um but also Gallagher would 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 complain that he thought that ICP ripped him off like anyone who's ever made a mess on stage, he thinks uh, he, he thought you know, Guar and ICP. Um, so I, I, so I, that's how I knew them. But we, we were going to try and do a documentary. I don't know if, if that'll ever happen. Um, apparently, working with insane clowns is not the most uh, stable business model. <laughs> Um, they seem to be doing great. So. But they are doing great. But but they did teach me about iconic characters. To bring to to bring it all the way back, and and you know, Gabe had a really good, a good process too of, of like, you know, what do he call like the silhouette of the character, you know, he, he wanted each character to kind of have its own distinct shape. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have like Philip, aka Pig Guy, and he's kind of a human pincushion. He has all these like, you know, blades sticking out of his back. Um, or we have you know Augie who gets hit by a, he gets run over by a car and has a big tire tread on his face, which is just straight up like a basket case three character. Like that's just what it looks like. Like it's just, it's so, so much of the movie is just so dumb. Like it's just, it's just like the dumbest, like it's just completely unrealistic, but we, we went with it. Well, this question I didn't ask last time cause I hadn't seen the movie yet. What was it like working with the pig? Oh, so cute. So that one of the characters yeah, kosher, is a pet pig, pig yeah. and kosher the pig. And he's just like cruising around set. And I was like, totally jealous that you got to like oh. direct. Can, the can pig. we uh, phone no. Jonah Ray for this answer? I want to phone uh, Jonah I Ray. Live, I was at the live uh, first <laughs> yeah, screening of this. Yeah, and Jonah yeah, Ray's yeah. first response was like, I hate that fucking pig or something like yeah. that. Oh, no. <laughs> Tell me about the pig. Cause I, I would love yeah. it. I'd be on the floor, like hugging him though. Well, but that's the thing is you don't we didn't, we weren't able to really play with the pig. We weren't. It's like anytime you have an animal on set, it's never. <laughs> I don't want to like burst your bubble, but it's just always it always is a pain in the ass because so first what always happens is like any kind of kids animal, on set. I know. Yeah, well, kids I don't mind, but like like anytime I've had an animal, the trainer's always like, "What do you want it to do?" And I'm always like, "I want it to go from point A to point B," and then they just look at me and they're like, "You know, it's an animal, right?" <laughs> Like every single time, no matter what, like I've, I've worked with a reindeer, I worked with a falcon, you know, it's, they're always just like, Did you work with a falcon? It was for, it was a commercial for, uh, this, this, this place called Springs Preserve in, uh, Las Vegas or whatever. Wow. It was just, but it was just like, we just needed it to fly. And it's always, <laughs> you know, so, so this, this pig, so one of the things is like, 
if if you move quickly around it, it stops. So we have a shot where it's like the pig's supposed to run by and Jonah's supposed to jump away from it. But every time he would, it would just stop. And then it would just scream. Like just scream? the most Yeah, just the most horrific, like <laughs> <laughs> like it's a tiny pig. But I was like off to the side like I was like, was that a did somebody bring a boar on set? You know, like it just sounded like it was like Razorback. Um, but sure enough, it's just this little, this little uh, cute pig. Um, Aww. Well, it, real I diva, guess, though. I guess you didn't like get it to sit, you know, snuggle it or anything like that. So no, I know. I mean, I, I, I think Jonah maybe got you a little bit, but uh, yeah, I always I wanted a pig as a as a. They're cute. Kid. So did I. Yeah. You know, a number of years ago, I had Craig Perry come in and talk to my class and he had just finished a movie with penguins. And I was so excited. I was like, how are the penguins? And his response was, I hate those fucking penguins. Like, <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. I get it. Did uh, I'm curious, because uh, at one point of the script, the character was a cartoonist and then he becomes a prog rock uh, musician who's working mm-hmm. Uh, on an album kind of around the drain, uh, circling the drain for most of his time. Uh, you yeah. as a music video director, you know, somebody who directed a lot of music videos, how much did that help mm-hmm. once you made the change to being a prog rock? How much did that aid? Because it feels like the aesthetic of music videos at times really suits what he's building yeah. towards, I thought. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I think it's, I think it helped a lot. I mean, there's, there's like a big finale that is very much like a, a a comedic music video montage. Mm. Um, I mean, it, yeah, that background really helped a lot. I mean, there's, there's like two or three scenes. There's like a, there's like a bit where he's in the hallway and the cameras, it's like very dreamlike where the camera's rushing at him and stuff. Um, that very much, that, that very much comes from like my music video roots of like, like it, it wasn't really on the schedule. Um, like I kept trying to tell the AD that it was on the schedule, but he kept because it wasn't fleshed out in the script. He was like, I can't he wouldn't pull the AD. No, Wait, but I was yeah. like, yeah. Well, I just but at think... a point I was just like, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, no, I, I was just going to say because the music video. I think not everyone realizes with directing, they see music videos and they go, oh, cool, that person can direct, and it's like, well, directing is like so much more restraint needed mm-hmm. for most movies because you don't get to do any of that the characters motivate right. the camera moves and all that uh but you found a movie a shell of a movie that could, yeah. like literally anything could happen and i think that's right. pretty smart for you that stuff yeah yeah so like there yeah so there was there was that moment when it was i i just we just had to like tell the ad like look dude like give me three minutes like give me the camera and jonah and a hallway and the steady cam and like just Go, go get some coffee or something you know and so, and so but it but it comes from the, the experience of like having to just cram your day with so much stuff mm-hmm. and you know there's also like the 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 sequence like the the drug party sequence where similarly like that was very that was that very much was going to go away but i was like it was the same thing we were just like dude like give me five minutes and sure enough like i think we shot it all very very quickly mm-hmm. um you know, but it's but it's it, it's it's one of my favorite parts of the video, the movie. It's it's really funny and visual and like, um, but that's always how it is. There's so many projects like that where it's like, the best part is always the the part where you're like, chasing after to the very end. You know. Yeah, it's one of the- that's totally how you directed the JoJo Siwa music video. Just like you know, five minutes yeah. hallway pig 
drugs. Yeah. It's chaos. Yeah, basically, yeah. It's so yeah, kept, I mean, I think one of the hard things drugs. about movies now is that they end up on streamers for the most part. Like, well, they all end up on streamers eventually, but they, a lot of them start there. Uh, tell me a little bit about the couple weeks of showing it in a theater because and what you maybe learn as a filmmaker from getting mm-hmm. a chance to see it with a crowd a bunch of times like you did because obviously I was at yeah. the first screening and it was it was riotous and I know I, I'm the type of person if I then watch it at home I'm gonna get you know a fifth of those jokes or a fifth of those laughs right just because of how yeah, you kind yeah. of approach material so uh you know what, how, yeah. what was that like the last couple of weeks I mean showing it yeah we showed it the arrow uh like beyond fest put it on and that I mean that was amazing that was the best that was great like Weird Al was there, um, <laughs> and uh, Dana Gould was there. I'm sure there were other people. Uh, Barbara Crampton was there. Uh, Joe Lynch showed up. Um, I think B Ghost was there too. Um, but um, yeah, it was. It's. I mean, it's 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 a comedy, so it's like it's meant to be seen with people. And it's what's funny is that there's like some of my favorite jokes in the movie. Like you'd you'd hear five people laughing really really hard, you know. <laughs> but it's kind of consistently like like every every time one of my favorite jokes would come by, there's like yeah like five or ten people who are just dying laughing, you know. And then it, it was pretty consistent even through like because we I went to a lot of the Alamo Drafthouse screenings, and it was a similar thing where you'd hear just a couple people just losing on you know a lot of the jokes. Everyone's laughing. <laughs> there were just some of those where. Just some dumb reference to something, or yeah, when Kamal's um, on screen, you get like that sequence is just arbitrary. You know, I think anyone on the planet yeah. is going to be laughing through that sequence. I mean, for me, I told yeah. you afterwards, it was the uh, Alex Winter Vlad's character when he first walks down the hallway and he's literally singing to himself the song from Night of the Hunter. <laughs> he's like, leaning, yeah. leaning, and I'm sitting there going, "That's the Night of the Hunter song." I didn't even catch. I was so that. excited, and I told him, I told him afterwards because yeah, Alex really likes that song. <laughs> yeah yeah but i mean that's the kind oh. of humor you're you're throwing a, a hundred jokes at a time and yeah um the the, the toxic avenger one that was played at beyond fest was a similar kind of thing where it's just like there could it's stuffed to the guilt to the point where you could get exhausted just halfway through because of the jokes but that's a plus right. that is also yeah. a plus because so many were yeah. landing in this I, i'm just i'm curious how people will react in the long term to these kind of movies you know just only at home it's so it's so different mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's so, yeah. you know it, it it definitely has that feel of I don't know, like a movie that a bunch of people like you Party. you get a bunch of beers and you, yeah. you throw it on and you're just yeah. like going crazy, you know. I mean, that was always the goal. Like yeah, I know people want everybody wants to make like a cult classic or whatever. And I feel like the second that you try to make it a cult film, then it won't that it won't happen. Yeah. But it was always like in the back of my head of like, okay, I want this to be that kind of movie that people that you know older older brothers are going to tell their younger brothers or sisters about you know like oh dude you haven't seen this oh you got to check this out well if that if you um, had discovered it you would be laughing your ass yeah. off and enjoying yourself oh my god if you hadn't made it yeah and i think that's that's how i could tell it was successful i was like oh i could see josh discovering this movie and going holy shit <laughs> yeah came into my head <laughs> i mean and- it's like it's like when you told me about butt boy oh yeah butt boy yeah <laughs> which is actually pretty good like pretty good movie it's got its moments yeah it's got a pretty but, I mean, thing you know i had yeah oh i had covid during the premiere so i didn't get oh, to yeah. come and so i ended up just watching it you know by myself on my bed on shutter mm-hmm. And it still worked like totally. Oh, good. Still me cracking up by myself. So don't think oh, it good. needs a theatrical crowd. Okay, right? good. Yeah, yeah. And to explain the butt boy reference, 
if, I, I think Elric had texted me or just, you know, we were like, oh, I saw this movie and I think you'd like it. And I was like, whenever people do that, like, there's part of me that gets, like, really, uh, like, kind of upset that I'm like, man, why do people think I'm such a weird? And then I watch it and I'm like, oh, this is the best movie ever. Well, um, it was you, you had actually pitched this movie to me, Destroy All Neighbors, like, what was it, like, eight years, seven yeah. years ago? We're in a pool with yeah. our kids. And I remember going, okay, yeah. that's impossible to make in my head. I didn't tell you that. I was yeah. like, man, that's great, Josh. Go, go get him, buddy. And in my brain, I'm like, he's fucked. I got to stop hanging out with him. I need more successful friends. Hey, uh, anyway. Um, and then, no, but then I remember going home and watching this butt boy thing that I wouldn't normally push play on, but I'd seen a couple good reviews push play and it was super indie. And again, it was the kind of thing, if you just mm-hmm. read the pitch, you'd go, no one could ever make that. But here's the movie. Right. And then you go, wait, yeah. you did it. And or yeah. Chompy, yeah. Chompy and the girls that we watched recently. Chompy and the girls. Kind of vibe. Is, oh, I don't know that yeah. You, you, yeah. You'll yeah. like that. That's like no budget. Chompy and the yeah. girls. Check it out. Like it's so fun. Okay. Concept, but yeah. like minimal execution, really fun. But I, I just think it's it's uh, the fact that you got your voice, the fact that you can work with so many artistic people, so many interesting, funny people, big comedians, but still come away with something mm. that feels like your voice. To me, that's why this is a success. It's yeah. a really cool movie. Oh, thanks. Uh, yeah, thank you. Still at the top. Your yeah. number one horror movie of the year on my letterbox list right now. There's only three other yeah. movies on the list, but that's okay. <laughs> Because you're number one. Let's just, end, let's just end this year right now. That's what right I'm saying. Right now, new year. you stay you're you're in full position. Yeah. Go with it. I'm at the top. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks Flip. for uh, not hating us after we deleted your last episode. And coming episode. back. Yeah, we of didn't course, mean anytime. the last episode. Yeah. Shit happens. It so, yeah. yeah. But amazing. Congrats, Josh. We can't. Well, wait, are you working on music videos? So for the we didn't even mention that. So Josh mm-hmm. is like a music video and commercial director by trade. And mm-hmm. you've got like major like nominated for vmas yeah yeah big, yeah. big commercials so um, yeah yeah so what are you on right now um i'm pitching on something uh i don't want to jinx it but i'm, I'm pitching on something that, that should be really fun it's a, a commercial nice. um and then i have that doc that gallagher documentary that i that is we're gonna finish it this year i promise I, and I, then um yeah, that thing's yeah. been going for like six years too so yeah i yeah at least gallagher yeah doc. um and then I don't know. I mean, there's a handful of other scripts, you know, the sewer babies. There's always sewer babies. You've always, when he has come in to talk to my class, he has told us about yeah. sewer babies. And I always have a couple of students that blush. And then a few yeah. that are like, I'd fucking watch that. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> that's how Josh is. Yeah. There's sewer babies. I don't know. I got, yeah, I got, I got too much. I got a lot of weird ideas, but uh, yeah, but this is, it's nice. Cause now I have like a proof of concept. Yeah. Like, look, I can, well, it also right, takes yeah. that monkey off your back that sometimes, you know, when you haven't done the thing that feels like you, now you have. Yeah. And so you know it's possible yeah. and you're not just climbing Mount Everest now. You know, you kind of have to. Yeah. And it, and it's nice to feel, because I feel like I've been in the horror community and I and I have done tons of horror adjacent things, but it's nice. And I guess I did contract it too. So there's that movie. But it's, I don't know. I feel like with this movie, it's the first time that I can, I don't know. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm part of the club now or yeah. something. Like, I feel like I'm now allowed at the party. Um, well, even though it's probably already allowed, yeah, um, we might still delete already. this episode. <laughs> okay. We'll see how we're just feeling. to really eliminate them. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can all see "Destroy All Neighbors" on Shutter right now, and is it still running theatricals this week? Um, no, there is. I don't know if I can. I'll just say it. I think we're going to do a video screening. Oh, cool! A screening oh, nice. at the video theater at the end of February. Great. Nice. And um, are you doing a physical media release anytime, or is that one? Um, I mean, it's going it, to, we have to, we have yeah. to. And there's also, um, 
the soundtrack is right now, the soundtrack is on Sub Pop Record mm. and nice. it's available on Spotify. And there's also talks about doing like a, a really nice vinyl with a, a company that is known for their collectible vinyl for movies. So we'll, we'll leave it at that. But um, mm. yeah. And we're talking to a guy about toys maybe, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. You know, one step at a time. Yeah. Fun stuff. Mass oh my empire. gosh. Well, thank you so much for coming on again. Yeah. And uh, yeah, always fun. Thanks, Josh. All right. Bye, guys. Thank you all so much for listening. If you feel like you need some more of us during the off week, you can always head over to our Patreon show, Deep Cuts, where we put our really, really, really weird stuff. Or this week, um, or last week, we put all of our, like, really odd giallos that we found, some strange, crazy stuff that we'd never seen before ended up over there. So definitely head over to our Patreon, Deep Cuts, and check us out there. Otherwise, we will be back in two weeks with another exciting guest. Thank you guys so much for listening. The Colors of the Dark podcast is a Fangoria production. Producers and co-hosts are Rebecca McKendry and Elric Kane. Executive producers are Tara Ainsley and Abby Gould. Sonic branding by Michael Rodriguez. And, of course, our amazing sound engineer, Ernie Hurtado. 